Welcome back to the Voice of Gen Suite, the EHS management podcast. In this episode, we'll be focusing on new EPA regulations on air, water, and waste management, and how this impacts your business's auditing and inspection procedures. Today, I'm joined by Brett Von Eugen and Darren Chen from our customer and application services team here at GenSuite, and Bob Kale, Vice President of Global Water Engineering Services, and Kristen Ebby, Senior Project Manager from GenSuite's strategic partner, SES Environmental. I'd like to welcome everyone to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Hi, Wayne. Excited to be here. What do you think are the biggest challenges surrounding auditing and inspection processes today? I'll take that question. Now, this is Bob. I have experience uh, for about 25 years in the auditing field. Really, one thing hasn't changed over all that time is the demand on resources. So whether the resourcing is, uh, is internal uh, and you do your own audits or you contract out uh, third parties to do your audits. You need resources in a, in a monetary standpoint for those. Some of the other things that go along with resourcing is creating a list of findings and closure action items can end up being hard to manage. If you're using an Excel spreadsheet, for example, you might have findings on one spreadsheet from one audit and another spreadsheet or even paper copies. So managing what I call the list of lists is always important uh, when auditing, but it's also, you know, can add complexity to the whole process. Being a provider, we only really have secondhand stories to tell from the different experiences and challenges that our customers and our subscriber base have experienced. But I definitely think that in terms of resourcing and trying to consolidate and institutionalize a, a process to compile findings to to use those findings to generate action items and then track those action items to closure, you know, that's one of the main reasons that customers are driven to GenSuite is the, that universal and uniform system to implement that across multiple uh, different groups within a, within a company or an organization. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a common challenge that we see from folks and that's one of the, the primary drivers that we see that, that brings them to us as a subscriber. Yeah, following up on what Brett said, I think one of the most common drivers for customers coming to GenSuite is just finding a way to handle the large amount of data that come from different points, such as audits and inspections. Bob, quick question. So what are some insightful uh, tips or uh, strategies that you've seen enterprises use to challenge uh, handling all this mass amount of data that they now collect? I've come from a background of corporate America, so I know that standardizing your audit spreadsheets or your templates, for example, across the company are very important so that you can roll up the findings and recommendations across the businesses and also lends to the ability to upload into a new type of system that might be GenSuite and that the web-based systems can receive or upload information from those spreadsheets as long as they are standardized. Thanks, Bob. That's some really uh, insightful tips right there. Uh, no, I, mean, I, I think that that's, that's a huge point uh, when you're working to, to, to organize that kind of information and then, you know, use it to uh, look at insight across an organization. It's important that, especially if, if you've got disparate groups or different, you know, functions within a, a company or organization that are following similar management processes, that having that, even if you're working off of a, an Excel spreadsheet-based system, that it's standardized and then, you know, 
uh, to your point there, Bob, having it in a uniform format makes it a lot easier to consolidate and then and then use that as a basis for uploading to another platform such as a cloud-based system or or some other management system. So it's interesting that you would say that because you know what we find is when when we take on new customers, sometimes they'll have a, a system that's got you know a lot of standardized data after the last iteration of whatever platform they were using. But then they might have like this cobweb log of stuff that they didn't have to touch, like maybe beyond a decade's worth of historical data that they didn't have to actually actively use in their in their old system before coming to GenSuite. And now they see GenSuite as this as this unified platform where now they want to look back at that data and then use our, our analytics tools or our predictive analysis, different utilities within the system. And, and now they want to look at their full backlog. So we sometimes see a challenge to go back and then have to kind of massage that data into that uniform format so they can kind of have a full historical look back and view of the performance across all those metrics and all those different systems that they are trying to manage. So definitely a challenge that we see very frequently. What are some of the biggest EPA regulations introduced in 2019, and how do you foresee them impacting the auditing process and companies in 2020? Um, I can go ahead and take that one if you don't mind. My specialization is in hazardous waste, so what I've seen is the new hazardous waste generator improvement rule that came out May 30th of 2017 at the EPA level. In 2019, we saw a lot of the states adopting the, the rule. Not all the states have adopted the rule yet. But some of the main components of the rule, or two of them actually, is allowing a hazardous waste generator to avoid increased burden of a higher generator status when generating episodic waste. You know, if it's a bill or one-time planned cleanout, they can actually notify the state and they don't have to take their generator status from, say, a very small quantity generator up to a smaller or large quantity generator because the, the regulatory requirements at those higher levels of generator status are significantly um, more. Um, the second thing is allowing a very small quantity generator to send its hazardous waste to a large quantity generator if it's within the same company. So that provides some relief. So there's some more relief with those two main components of the rule. Other changes that I've been dealing with at a lot of different locations around the United States is changes in, you know, I, I mentioned the word very small quantity generator. That replaced conditionally exempt to eliminate confusion as well as, you know, just be more consistent with the small quantity, large quantity generator. Contingency plans have to now have emer quick emergency response guides that highlight or summarize emergency information for emergency responders like fire department or spill response contractors. Also, they have to, the facilities have to ensure that arrangements are made with local response agencies to provide services. And they have to, they have to maintain documentation if an agency cannot provide those expected services. Those are for, you have to have a, a RIPRA contingency plan, and usually those are the large quantity generators where they have to have more extensive plans. The other thing that's making a big impact is just hazardous waste labeling. They have to include not only the words hazardous waste and accumulation start date and the contents, but also the hazards associated with those wastes. And you can use a GHS pictogram, which may not always be available. DOT hazmat labels, those are examples you can do this. The challenge that this faces with these new rules and regulations is that, as with any new rule or regulation, you tend to have um, new interpretations when inspectors or auditors show up. And so those tend to have to be sorted out, you know, based on what the findings are and just trying to understand what other facilities are doing. But that, in a nutshell, what the new hazardous waste generator improvement rule has, has kind of shown us. Where do you see the future of auditing and inspections heading? 
the future is kind of upon us now and a lot of companies as I mentioned earlier had already transitioned away from paper and also from Excel spreadsheets using the the cloud-based systems. The one thing I guess is going back to the comment I made about resourcing I see that companies find that they need to spend more time on closing the findings or at least equal time to what they spend on finding and generating those lists. And so I, I see that um, if they've got a complex site that's going to require five days of auditing, a lot of companies are carving out just three days to do the findings and corrective actions lists and spending two days with, with experienced auditors helping them close those findings so they're not left at the end of the week with you know, one or 200 open-ended findings. Bob, that makes a lot of sense. One about where the future is headed for auditing inspections. Uh, in Gensuite, we utilize tools such as our inspection tool, Reg Auditor, and our forms applications to utilize custom checklists in order to help and complete these audits, inspections, perhaps on mobile devices on the go, since people are getting away from paper at this time. And what you mentioned about correcting those findings is actually very important too. I know some of my customers have started internal programs to reward employees that might, or certain divisions or sites that are closing their findings faster than others and kind of doing a competition to see who is doing better in order to just push that employee morale in order to close out those findings. Because you are right, we may be doing audits and inspections, but without correcting the findings, there's no point since we'd be finding same things next time. Right. I think it's important to note there that the completion of the audit and the closure of the corrective actions is the base requirement for being compliant, right? And really what the goal should be is to perform at a higher level from a health and safety perspective so that whatever tools or management system a facility or an organization may be using, it's really a way for them to improve their performance as a whole as a safety culture and as a safety organization. So the ability to look across an organization and specifically look at areas or groups that are setting a standard for the rest of the team, so to speak, and use them and, and incentivize them to perform and to maintain those safe environments and to meet their, their compliance closure standards and, and requirements there. I think that's, that's something that, that's really where personally I would like to see uh, more of our customers go as they mature in their programs and, and in their use of, of their respective systems and the tools that they utilize. Just throwing a question at you. I know you work with quite a few customers. Will you be able to provide insight on how they're doing their audits and inspections? A lot of them don't have very well organized ways of tracking. We have Excel spreadsheets that they can use, but you know, like the Gen Suite system to track a lot of these findings, if they don't have a good system like that, a lot of times things go missed or if somebody isn't following it or if you don't have somebody that's responsible for it, if there's been employee changeover, things will fall through the cracks and get missed. And, and that's, that's not a good thing, especially when you don't have visibility within the organization. So, so if you do have a good system where they can keep it on the forefront and bring these systems or bring these reports to meetings where management can see it you know, during weekly meetings and they can say, okay, so where are we at? What do we have done? Things get closed, things get tracked, things get taken care of. And things don't fall through the cracks. So that's the that's the goal of where we want to bring our clients. Some of them we have gotten to that point, and the ones that haven't, you know, we're definitely focusing on gearing them towards that direction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It kind of ties back to that first question we had on the biggest challenges uh, surrounding auditing and inspections, and just it's more about tools uh, that what can they utilize in order to actually do this properly. 
What are some programs companies can get involved with to stay compliant and ensure a smooth audit? I've worked with VPP program, the Voluntary Protection Program on the health and safety side. And I guess the, the benefits can be debated, but the, the thing about it is it creates a safety culture across your plant. And you also work hand in hand with your state OSHA and in some cases federal OSHA to understand not only the requirements that are in the regulations, but also what are the best practices that are being done at some of these facilities that agencies inspect and provide expertise to. The one thing that you benefit from, from per se, is that if you do qualify and certify as a VPP site, you are at less risk of having an adversarial relationship with your OSHA agency. They do say that they're less likely to randomly inspect you, so that's a good thing. The one thing that you got to keep in mind, though, is that once you decide to go forward with such a voluntary program, that you need to have systems in place and management programs in place to keep them sustainable and evergreen. It's one thing to certify one year, but three years later, upon recertification, you don't want to get egg on face, so to speak, because it's going to take a lot of effort to keep it at the level of expectations for VPP status. Question on that. Would you say it's difficult to maintain VPP status for a site? Like, uh, what, What's the success rate for uh, companies or sites that are just aiming for a VPP status and to maintain it ongoing? I do have some colleagues, unfortunately, that have lost VPP. They didn't necessarily create that issue. They may have inherited that issue. So one of the other challenges is, as you have health and safety leaders moving from one organization to another, and you have to bring in someone new to run the program, you lose that continuity, and there may be some things that get lost in the shuffle. That's very insightful. I think one of the uh, biggest challenges we have here at GenSuite is when there's a change in leadership and someone new has just came in to run the program and they're not familiar with us. So I think not just VPP, but even many other programs that would also apply. Yeah, Christy, would you like to talk about the ISO? Yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of piggyback on, on what Bob had said about the VPPs, one way to maintain consistency is through the ISO 14001 certification process, or even if you don't want to go through the full certification, even just an implementation of environmental management system. I've had some clients that didn't want to go through the entire certification process, but wanted to just take components of the ISO standard and just integrate them into their facilities just to help them identify the applicable regulations and requirements that their company has to follow to ensure compliance and also can help us these systems can help establish processes to track assign responsibility complete and submit reports inspections training and other things the most important thing with environmental management systems especially with the new standard that came out it was the 2015 standard is it puts a lot more focus on top management and not just an environmental management rep. And that way, the, the visibility of, of compliance and, you know, the responsibilities for environmental compliance is visible and seen 
in all levels of the organization. And so that's something that these environmental management systems can definitely help with this. And Kristen, a quick question there. This is Brett. When do you think you started noticing the shift from looking at the environmental leadership point of contact or, or visibility for, for compliance or standardization for those types of programs and when it was starting to be driven up toward executive leadership and responsibility from an operational level? Probably with the new standard where they are trying to get away from just a single environmental management rep. And, you know, what I had seen is during certification audits or surveillance audits is that you've got one person running the show and the top management will want to be certified because the customer would require it. But they're like, you handle it. Just tell us what we need to do. And the new standard is kind of forcing the responsibility more on a team and pushing it back up. And I think that's definitely a good thing, you know, and definitely a focus more on processes so that you're not just fixing individual things, you're fixing systems that like tracking systems, things like that. So I would say the new standard, I've seen a lot of benefits with the new standard. What are some of the biggest gaps you see when it comes to ensuring conformance with ISO standards, such as ISO 14001 for environmental management? The, the new 2015 ISO 14001 standard focuses on the life cycle management of aspects and just more involvement of the management team, as I mentioned before, just to get more people involved and more visibility at all, you know, all levels of the organization. Where organizations tend to get into trouble is when they don't establish a good foundation for their environmental management system. And I guess what I mean by a good foundation is making sure that you've defined the scope and the context of the organization, you know, what does it entail? Establishing a comprehensive list of environmental aspects, you know, just what are they? What are your aspects and how do they make an impact on the environment? Having a good environmental objectives that link to your significant aspects and, you know, just making sure that management is involved and they have to understand what the aspects and the objectives are because they have to be touching it and, and keeping that in mind. Just knowing your compliance obligations and most importantly, having a very robust internal audit program. And if you have a really good foundation and including the internal audit program, if you can find your own mistakes and even if you don't have them fixed, if you're getting an audit, they're not going to give you a nonconformance if you're in the process of finding it and fixing it. But that's, that's really, really important to minimizing or eliminating gaps when having an audit. Yeah, thanks, Kristen. What tools does GenSuite offer to address these gaps? So there are a number of different solutions that can be used both for internal and external audit. Darren had mentioned earlier the inspection tool, and, we, and we've mentioned uh, some of the, the functionality that we offer for corrective action and preventative action tracking in our action tracking system application. Those are two very robust tools for both uh, an EHS type audit for an internal assessment or for an external auditing purpose. And, and, and each of those tools can be customized to capture and segment the data for both activities respectively. But we also have uh, an internal assessment tool that's called our framework platform, uh, where we have essentially an EHS framework where a business can establish a number of different controls that they need to monitor across all of their facilities. And, and they're set up as, uh, as individual components across different types of assessment areas, such as uh, EHS culture, corporate leadership and initiative, and then all the way down to you know general performance across a business's individual EHS initiatives 
and their goals there. And there's a scoring-based system that you can use to track each facility and then compare it against a baseline score and then against the, how it performs against other facilities in the organization or across the company. And, and those are three three primary tools that, that drive both a view of internal assessment and then also just to help facilitate any kind of general auditing task. Following up on Rep. Brett has just said, uh, the inspection tool is a great tool when you migrate custom checklist design for a simple yes, no, compliant, non-compliant. This quick check says you might do like daily or walkthrough inspections or even uh, more uh, in-depth inspections. Our forms application can also be used if you want to dig deeper for more details, uh, specific details rather than just looking for findings. When you want uh, detailed questions, maybe look like uh, selection. It gives you the option to create drop-down questions, text questions, date questions, and allows uh, users to provide answers and just a yes, no, or, or just to log findings. At the same time, if you're more interested in auditing and inspecting for regulatory requirements, we have our Reg Tracker tool, which provides an, on an ongoing basis uh, the newest regulatory requirements to sites. Uh, it can be provided like at a state or local basis or like in, uh, in a country basis as well. At the same time, we have our Reg Auditor tool, which can be utilized to complete checklists that have been designed to meet regulatory requirements. We partner with third parties that have designed uh, checklists for all the questions preloaded. And so your sites would just need to determine well, which checklists or which areas of regulatory requirements are applicable to the sites. And then they can utilize these custom checklists to audit themselves to ensure that they're meeting the newest regulatory requirements. So there are quite a, a few different tools that can be utilized. And if we're not just talking about like audits and inspections, we have different tools um, for tracking areas such as hazardous waste that we mentioned earlier, our waste tracker tool. And we have tools for tracking ozone depleting substance uh, generators VR ODS Sentinel. So quite a few tools that can be utilized. Thank you, Darren. What sort of advice can you offer to a site to overcome conformance gaps? I'll take this one in that maybe using conformance and compliance interchangeably. I have more experience on the compliance side, but uh, what I think that worked well is a multi-tiered inspection and auditing process. And I'll relate it to waste, even though waste isn't my specialty, it's Chris's. I just remember how tedious it can be for a large quantity generator site to do the month, the weekly inspections of their storage areas, both the satellite storage areas and the less than 90 day storage areas. And if you've got the same set of eyes looking at it every day, you, you know, you may kind of gloss over or glaze over, over the course of the year. So what I found with one of my clients that was very effective is they had a second person involved that would audit the auditor. So the one person was doing a weekly inspection and documenting it and, you know, logging what the defects were, but then a second auditor would come through once a month, every four weeks, and do their own check. And they would have a conversation to calibrate between the two of them what they're looking for and what the expectations are, requirements are. I mean, it really helped build a solid program that, you know, the labels on the drums were always filled out correctly that the drums themselves were kept closed and plenty of aisle space in between them. So the housekeeping was great. And they got to the point where really there were, there were almost zero defects over the course of the year. So for those that, you know, have enough resources to do basically a little bit of double duty on the audits, it really does go a long way to getting you to 100%. 
And I think that it's interesting to know the audit, the auditor process, and, and in Gents, we, we do have for corrective actions logged as a result of findings. When a finding gets you know logged to a responsible person for, for follow-up and closure, we do enable a feature to require a closure verifier, which could be considered that audit, the auditor step where, you know, that responsible person, when they go to close that finding, you know, that they close it from their perspective, but then there's a secondary approval step where this verifier has to review the case, the finding and the closure, and then essentially provide final closure to the finding and the corrective action. So we do have some functionality that captures that step for, for those that do need it. What does GenSuite offer in terms of internal auditing? Sure. So we mentioned the framework tool, which we have a number of options from our, from our framework suite where it's essentially the ability for a business to build out individual assessment elements across organizations such as leadership and accountability, EHS processes and systems, risk management, safety defenses, exposure, environmental defenses, et cetera. And then these can be coupled with, you know, the, the, the general performance of closing out regulatory and non-regulatory findings and, and looking at those metrics and then alongside, you know, incident recording and, and, uh, and reportability and the metrics with injury and illness, accidents, and, and listed environmental events. And this, this kind of creates a holistic picture both for external reporting and for internal assessment. Now, we also have some other tools that allow you to create kind of an, uh, an internal audit environment. And we have a tool that's called the, uh, the Audit Assistant. And this is really a collaboration platform where if there's a team of internal auditors, they can get together and manage observations throughout an audit process. And, and this is meant to be, you know, uh, kind of a, a living and breathing environment for multiple auditors across different uh, parts of an organization to come together and help, you know, better manage and kind of cross-pollinate their findings and their best practices to execute an, an audit. So this is particularly useful for an internal assessment scenario. Brett's provided good insight into some of the applications. I'm more familiar with the actual tools that Gensry provides to do the the audits and inspections. I mentioned them pretty much all earlier. Uh, we have our inspection tool and our forms applications to create custom checklists. They can be designed how the companies want and answer the specific questions a, a company might be looking for while doing performing their internal audits. What are the top preventative measures a company can take to ensure an audit goes smoothly, such as compliance monitoring, reporting, and record keeping? You know, compliance monitoring, um, reporting, and record keeping, of course, you want to keep utilize all those things and make sure that you're doing what you need to do, utilize the tools. But what I thought about when I read this question was a lot of times getting surprise audits or inspections from regulatory agencies. And that happens a lot of time or a lot, you know, with clients, you know, sometimes they'll call and say, hey, we've got an inspector here. We're not quite sure what to do. Even if you are doing everything right, you know, and, and you're, you're monitoring everything great, what I would recommend is pre-planning for a possible unannounced regulatory inspection. For example, um, prepare the employees at the front desk or security, like even the receptionist for, hey, if you get a state inspector to come in and look at your environmental compliance, your environmental systems or whatever, I'm sure they understand what they need to do. Who do they need to contact? What if those people are not there? Usually they'll contact president or the EHS person, but if they're gone, who's the backup? And sometimes they start to panic. 
just make sure that, you know, you take the inspector to a conference room and you don't take them to the file room and just give them access to all your files and all your, all your documentation, all your records. Put them in a conference room, ask them if they want anything to drink, and then ask them what they need and bring them just what they need so they can focus on what they're, what they're looking for. Just maybe decide in advance if they want to take a tour of the facility, kind of like, you know, what areas are you going to show them? I mean, of course, if they want to see, they can see whatever areas they want, but be predetermined, like what areas are going to be important that they can gain the most from. You know, there's some areas maybe they don't, it wouldn't be of any interest to them. So just make sure that, that you work with the inspector to understand all the findings and communicate that they're definitely going to be addressed and corrected. I mean, just treat them like you're going to be on the same team as them and that they're there to help you. For easy findings, I definitely recommend um, correcting them on the spot if you can, because a lot of times they'll make note in their, in their violation letters. Hopefully you won't have one, but if you do, they'll make note that it had been corrected and they won't formally write it up. The last thing you want to do is argue or try to hide information. You want to be upfront and honest. And like I said, just, you know, treat them like they're part of your team and that you're, you know, you want to do what's right and you want to make sure that you're compliant just like they do. Thanks, Kristen. This is Brett again. And I'm, I was wondering, in advance of a potential visit from an inspector or auditor, do you ever have like a monthly or a quarterly report prepared that you can give upfront for easy reference for any number of summary metrics or, or key recent findings that, you know, might be of immediate interest to an inspector or an auditor if they, if they should show up unexpectedly? I guess if you have an ISO 14001 system, you might have your own internal findings. I'm not sure if I would offer that information unless they specifically ask. But one good thing about environmental management systems is you, you know, you're, you are going to kind of keep track of a lot of things. And, and if you are in the process of fixing something and they hone in on it, you can bring that up and say, hey, I do have a system here and it is being caught and we are addressing it. And even if it's not an easy fix, if they know you're working on it, they may not, they may not write it up. What assistance can you offer companies to enhance sustainable business practices to reduce downtime from noncompliance? Okay, so this Bob and uh, we at SES uh, about 10 years ago developed on the water side, a water program. And it started out being a, a compliance-based program to make sure they were dotting all their I's and crossing their T's and meeting the requirements of the permit. But over time, it became more of a proactive program, a more of an upstream program. And what we found we can get out of it is not only an improvement in compliance, but Things like water projects, uh, water reduction projects, chemical savings at your uh, wastewater treatment plants, additional safeguards for compliance to make you know your your compliance margin even better. So, for example, instead of targeting your permit limits, targeting 50% of your permit limits, so you have that much more compliance margin uh, built in. We, we found that um, these programs, although they're costly up front, they end up paying for themselves, especially when you have a water and chemical savings in the end. Many of them uh, will have a payback within uh, 24 months. So the other thing about that program, it's very flexible. So if you've already got a solid handle on your wastewater streams coming into waste treatment and you just want to try to tweak the removal efficiency for pollutants across your wastewater treatment plant, then, then we, can, uh, we can help you do that and really focus in on that one objective. To kind of follow up on that, if you look at it from a waste perspective, 
you can evaluate your waste processes to reduce the generation of hazardous waste. And you can do this through substitution, better management of the waste process. Like, for example, some people don't dump rinse tanks as often. And they, they say, you know what, I don't have to dump it every week. Maybe I can dump it once a month and it would, it would still be fine. It wouldn't affect the, the, you know, the product at the end. Also, reusing recycling waste. Or even the or even elimination of a of a chemical can reduce your hazardous waste generator status. So if you can bring your generator status from a large quantity down to a very small quantity, you can definitely reduce your regulatory burden significantly, and um, and definitely your liability as well. How do GenSuite and SES work together to improve the inspection and auditing process? Well, my experience of dating way back has really been focused on some of the tracking tools for environmental compliance, whether it's the water watch tool or the waste tracker tool, air log. The one thing that um, we found in partnering with GenSuite and some potential new users is that it may be an onerous task to start up a new program like water watch and we can help by uploading the requirements and the permits, setting up the charts for them and some of the historical data so by the time they roll it out, that it's already got uh, useful uh, trend charts for each of the pollutants, and they can actually hit the ground running on, uh, on upon rollout. Uh, another aspect is in the your SDS tool. We have helped companies uh, get on board with that by doing a chemical sweep or chemical inventory across their facility to make sure that do have their arms around the total. Uh, chemicals in their plant and know which SDSs they need to have in hand and, and eventually upload it into the system. So it gives them all that much more confidence when they're ready to roll out the, the tool that they've got uh, all of their required SDSs accounted for. Excellent. Thanks, Bob. And yeah, that's a common challenge that, that I've seen with with launching new customers and, and partnering with groups who are trying to facilitate or consult through that process is uh, is making sure that the transition is smooth for that day one go live. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, you've got some experience and you've had some success with working with GenSuite to, to facilitate that transition for our subscribers. Following up on Brett, I agree. I've had similar experiences. Many of my customers, they signed up for GenSuite application because they have certain objectives, but they're, they might not 100% be sure what exactly they're looking for. It sounds like SES can help prep them for that to do initial work in order to figure out uh, what it is that they want to accomplish with the Gen3 tools and that that would be very helpful especially uh, if they are looking for like a speedy implementation Gen3 and just to ensure that they're hitting their target goals. Thanks to Brett, Darren, Bob, and Kristen for joining me. I would just say that we do enjoy this type of work. Look forward to uh, continuing our partnership with Gen3. Yep, I definitely agree. Likewise. Thanks, Bob and Kristen. Likewise as well. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Voice of Gen Suite. Make sure to join us in March for our next podcast. <laughs>